In a world that is constantly spinning, single mums can find themselves shouldering the mental, financial and caregiving load all on their own. It can be isolating, lonely and exhausting. Today, we get an intimate look at the struggles of being a single mother in Singapore. Welcome to the final episode of Growing Pain Season 4, a podcast by Honey Kids Asia that explores the challenges of modern parenting and provides a safe space for parents to navigate the ever-changing landscape of parenthood. My name is Ange, I'm a mum to two boys, Xavier who's 11 and Marcel who is 9. In this episode, we chat with Kanak Munchal, Senior Manager of Programs at Daughters of Tomorrow, a charity organisation in Singapore whose mission is to facilitate livelihood opportunities for underprivileged women and support them in building financially independent and resilient families. We're going to hear some stories from single mothers in Singapore and learn about the often invisible struggle of being a single parent. Hi, Kanak. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining us. For our listeners, it would be great to start off just learning a little about you. Sure, of course. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And Daughters of Tomorrow is so delighted to be here. Now, for the benefit of our listeners, could you elaborate on Daughters of Tomorrow? What is the organization about? When was it founded? Who are its beneficiaries? Give us all the good details. Of course, I'd love to. So we are a local charity. We were founded in 2014 by Carrie Tan, who is currently uh, MP of Nisun South. And since then, I think we have grown leaps and bounds as well. Currently, I mean, the vision of the charity is really to enable women who are coming from low-income backgrounds or underprivileged and giving them the tools and the support to go back to the workforce and to enable them towards financial livelihood. Because we really feel that once we have that in place, that's the beginning or the building blocks towards true freedom of choice. If you don't have the resources or you don't have the money, even if you want to do a lot of things, you are by nature limited, right? So that we found as an organization was kind of the first step. Since then, I think we've realized that it is really the first step because so much more needs to happen to enable true social mobility. And that's kind of some of the new programs that we've been developing um, more recently. That's incredible. Now, We know that underprivileged women, low-income families exist in Singapore, but many people may not be aware of them. Why is that? I think, I mean, coming here myself, Mm. I, I didn't see it either. I think it's not obvious like on the streets when you're walking around, very different from your experiences in Africa or India where you can see poverty as you walk around, right? And I think because it's not visible or in your face in Singapore, you're not aware of it. Mm -hmm. If you were to go into some of the rental blocks, which are located all around Singapore, actually, these are public rental housings. And if you go in and walk around within the complexes, you'll see that the apartment sizes are actually really small. They're one room flats, which means it's just a studio, like there's no space. And sometimes you'll have four to five people living in that space. And so that is really challenging 
for a lot of families space-wise. And then also you look at the price increases that are going on in Singapore. I think everyone's finding it hard to kind of get by right now. I've been talking to so many friends and they're saying the rents have gone up by 60, 70%, you know. And food prices have really gone up as well. Absolutely. During COVID, you saw that spike and it's it's not abating, like it's still no. continuing. <laughs> and so I think if we think, if you reflect personally on what you're experiencing right now, and then you factor in the fact that most of the women that we're working with are earning less than $650 per month per person, you know, and you think about how much you're spending in Singapore, mm. it's really hard to make stretch that dollar. Yes. Like how far can you stretch one dollar? Particularly when you have dependents <laughs> as well and potentially not the most wonderful support system around you in certain circumstances. So how can the support system for underprivileged people, and particularly women, because that's why we're here and obviously talking to daughters tomorrow today, how can that be improved in Singapore? So I would say there's so many ways where we can get started. But from DOT's perspective, because we really are looking at financial livelihoods or enabling that, I think the first step is really getting people to trust you, to to try and make a change. So investing in building personal relationships or connections is the first step. So when you meet people, you know, go out of your way, lend a listening ear and try and be that encouraging kind of force within that community that you're in anyway. And then once they do trust you or they find that there's some affinity there, you know, providing training opportunities so that women can upskill. Because currently right now, when we look at the demographic of women that we're supporting, about 50% have less than N-level, which is secondary school education. So with limited formal education, it's very hard to think about what kind of jobs you're qualified for. And a common sentiment that I hear from the women that I'm working with is that, oh, I don't have enough qualifications. I can't even think about applying for that job. And so I think one of the things that we can do as a community or, you know, at many different levels is to make training opportunities more accessible. And that's actually what DOT does. So when we offer our workshops, so we build confidence, we offer IT workshops, we offer financial literacy workshops, we offer it in the evenings so that even if you're working, you could come by afterwards. And we actually offer childminding services as well. Oh, that's so helpful because the hardest part of going to anything when you're a mother or a parent without someone who is someone to like watch the child. It's just the practical challenge, isn't it? Absolutely. And so because a lot of the women that we are supporting don't have that social Mm. support structure, Mm. so they could be single moms or, you know, both husband, wife are working long hours. They may be estranged from extended family. So having them being able to bring their children with them Mm -hmm. makes a huge difference. So it actually makes the courses or the programs, workshops more accessible Mm -hmm. for them. So I would say that's kind of the first stop or the first thing we could do. The second thing would be then, well, once you're trained up and ready to go, you recognize your strengths, you're excited, you're inspired, then um, are there job opportunities that are flexible enough so that you can balance your caregiving duties with your professional aspirations. Mm -hmm. And I think as mothers, I can say that for myself personally, like that has always been 
a big struggle to kind of find that balance. It's the never-ending challenge, isn't it? Because you want to be fulfilled (laughs) as a human being, (laughs) but you also want to be there for your children. And there's always that guilt associated with whichever way you're leaning into more. So if you're spending more time in your career, there's that guilt that, oh, the kids, have I been there enough? And then if you spend too much time with the kids, it's like, but I care about my career or or some aspirations for myself as well. I don't have any answers. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. And I think all working moms, maybe not all, most working moms, you know, are juggling that day in and day out. And like you said, it changes based on the day or the season. But for our moms, because there's an added layer of necessity to work, yes. because you need the income coming in, well, you may providing. be the, yeah. yeah, you're the sole breadwinner. Yeah. And so how are you able to juggle that? And if you do make the choice that, okay, I'm going to work full-time or multiple jobs to make ends meet, which is what uh, some beneficiaries do do. Yeah, they don't have the luxury of choosing which way they're leaning, right? Then what's the implication of you not being there for your kids? What happens to their upbringing, their support system, the choices that they end up making as well is something that the women have to grapple with Mm. again. So on that note, We know that single mothers face this uphill battle when it comes to navigating parenthood. Could you perhaps for our listeners highlight some of the challenges that they particularly face here in Singapore? Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think all parents can kind of relate to this, it's no respite. You know, you're just constantly on because you are the sole provider, sole caregiver. There's not many people you can lean on unless you've got strong familial relationships or a good, very strong friends network. Mm. And I think for most of the women that we talk to, that's not present. So if it's you fronting all the caregiving, all the choices, all the housework on top of your actual job as well, we do see, you know, high rates of burnout, stress, anxiety. And I don't have the research to back this up, but, you know, I'm pretty sure that affects your health, your physical health as well, when you're constantly under that much stress. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is one of the hardest things that our single mothers have to really grapple with. I think the second thing that we, we kind of talked about is the caregiving responsibilities, right? So if you are not just taking care of your kids, but maybe you're taking care of your aged parents as well, what they call sandwiched generation, right? So that's then another kind of lever that you have to juggle with your other responsibilities. And so we see that a lot as well. Mm. So how can we help these women? I think it's about creating more roles that are flexible and understand the demands that these women are facing. So recently, a very promising conversation that we had is with uh, Kim Underhill. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She is our, she used to be the president of DOT. Yes. And since then, she's moved on to uh, create her own women's networking organization called She Brilliance. And I think pulling from her own personal journey, she realized that there's a big demand for personal assistance in Singapore. So, you know, we've been working together to try and figure out, well, how can we provide that service, but 
uh, in a remote setting. So it's a work from home opportunity. So could we train up our beneficiaries to be able to fulfill that role, but they do it from home? So that way they might be able to better manage all those other responsibilities that they have. So I think it's coming up with innovative ideas like that, that can really maybe change the landscape of the types of jobs that are available. We've also had a lot of success really talking to existing employers in the landscape. I, I think through our advocacy, sharing, through sensitizing them through our workshops, employers themselves are coming to us and saying, we actually want to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. We want to hire dot beneficiaries who are eager to join the workforce, who are motivated and we're willing to change kind of our HR practices to enable that to happen. And I think that's amazing. And we are so lucky to have such supportive employer partners around in our community. So uh, what they're able to offer, for example, is you think about any big retailer or F&B outlet, they normally have rotating shift work to be able to open at, you know, 10 a.m. and then stay open until 10 p.m., right? But because most of our beneficiaries are moms, they need to pick up their kids from childcare by yes, seven, right? So yeah. you can't make the math work or like the schedule work. But what some of our employer partners have been willing to do is they're like, okay, well, we understand that. So it's that understanding, deeper understanding that has led them to actually change their staffing policies. Mm-hmm. And they're able to give our beneficiaries core and stable scheduling, which means they come in at 10 and they leave by six mm-hmm. every day, Monday through Friday. And so it, tracks with the childcare hours. And so making those sort of organizational shifts and being open to doing that, I think, because it takes a lot of work on their part, I'm sure, with the scheduling behind the scenes, but being open to even consider that, I think, is a step in the right direction. Mm. And it also, there's such a skills shortage, but there's also just a manpower shortage in Singapore and in so many other parts of the world, that if you have this resource of part-time mothers, you should be utilising that because some places they just can't fill their jobs if they're becoming inflexible in terms of the type of person that they're looking to employ. So, yeah, I, I mean, in my mind, I think flexible working is just going to get bigger and bigger as we continue on. And I hope that they, this provides more opportunities for mothers in particular who seem to need to work more flexibly, particularly when their children are young. Just adding on to that, I think that's absolutely kind of mm-hmm. where we see the industry or economy going as well. But I think on the flip side of that, what we're also trying to understand as well, if the gig economy keeps on going or we have more contract work, which is short time or short term, I would say, what does that do for financial stability? Because then how do you plan ahead? Mm -hmm. Because it's not just about having a job now, but you need that steady income coming in so that you can plan for the future. That's right. So if it's a permanent part-time role that's guaranteed and there's a conversation about when you're ready to go and increase your, yes, we can make allowances. But if it's a case of, well, this is a great way for us to not pay entitlements and have a lot of casual workforce, which, you know, a lot of companies are looking at the numbers and are Mm -hmm. going that that could be a financially viable proposition just in terms of how much they pay in payroll and benefits. Uh, But of course, it's not something that's going to be sustaining these women that we're talking about today. Uh, Now, it's said 
nowadays that women are actually more financially literate than men. What more can be done to close the financial gap? So women may be better with handling their money or more understanding of where they're spending their money in in terms of this question. But yeah, how do we close that financial gap for them? That's, I wish I knew the answer to that question. I mean, I think it, this is my personal opinion. I think it stems from like the gender inequity, right? So because women, moms are, especially in this society, maybe other societies are different, are primarily the main caregivers, right? Mm. So you have to take that time off or not have to, but many women choose to take time off when they have their children. I, I certainly did. I know of many others who did. And so when you choose to come back to the workforce, you either have to take a pay discount or you are only taking on part-time hours so your pay is reduced. And then your promotion track or your career advancements also get affected. Mm-hmm. So then you're kind of playing catch-up to the men who are have the similar professional qualifications, but because they've just maybe been working for that year longer, somehow, you know, you've lost steam. So I think figuring out how as society we can change that caregiving role so that it's more equitable between men and women. Mm-hmm. It's a very hard thing to do societal change. I don't think yes. it can happen overnight. It's very much based in culture and expectations and gender norms and all of that. But there are countries like Norway, Sweden, where you have seen it happen. So we know it's possible, but I guess the question is, how do we get there? And, and then from an affordability perspective, how do we, you know, do we have the ability to afford to support that. Because some of these Scandinavian countries, it's great, but they actually tax you at a much <laughs> yes, higher rate. Absolutely. So that, becomes a, that even becomes a tax chain kind of <laughs> situation, which is highly complicated. Absolutely. Um, now, in terms of the programs that Daughters of Tomorrow run, we touched on it earlier slightly, but could you share more about the types of programs that you offer for the women? Yeah, absolutely. So I think our initial course that we, for women who have not worked in a long time, we found that lack of belief in themselves or the lack of confidence is the main hurdle to kind of starting that journey back to work. So that's why the course that we offer most frequently, uh, we run it island-wide. It's called DOTS Confidence Curriculum. It's an eight-week program where women come together. It's a class size of around 10 to 15 women. And they just, in a safe space, get to know more about each other. They get to know more about themselves in terms of what their strengths are. And they talk about, you know, what's been hard previously? What are the challenges? And I would say there's a lot of peer learning. So they are helping themselves. Mm. And then we've got our volunteer trainers in there to help facilitate, give them tools and frameworks as well that we've developed. So I think that combined discussion really lends to a shift in terms of their readiness about how they feel about themselves and what they're looking for in the future. Then as they're going through that program, we've layered in another layer of support through our volunteer befrienders, which is how I joined DOT initially. And so we connect them. um, It's like a one-on-one relationship, like a friendship. And the befrienders get to know the ladies as well, get to know them on a much more personal level so that they're able to really understand 
what's going on in their lives and what specific support does that woman need? Because in a class setting, you know, you can talk about things generally, but you might not do a deep dive into what her unique situation is. And so through that kind of friendship, we're able to then activate other resources within our ecosystem because we don't work in a silo. Like we have great relationships with other social service agencies in Singapore. And so we're able to pull them in as and when they're required. And so that, I think, is really the journey towards employment. Mm -hmm. Through the years that we've been doing this, we've realized that just getting a job, like I said, is not enough. Like making sure that you have enough money to make it till the end of the month can be challenging when you first start work, which is why we then worked with Ida to develop a financial literacy course that we run for our women as well. They can learn like the basics of budgeting, which you said women are really good at now, right? So (laughs) just to fine tune that a little bit because you are working with, you know, a shoestring budget, right? So how do you really make it work? How do you save? What are you trying to save towards? How do you get your whole family buy-in towards your financial goals because otherwise it doesn't work, right? And having conversations around money doesn't come naturally to many people. Like it's quite sensitive. It's quite hard. So those are the kinds of things that we cover in the course. And then to really kind of make it doable or to get the ball rolling, we also offer a financial matching. So after they've learned how to do it, they have six months to actually try it out. And so whatever they save, we match one for one up to $100. So that really kind of jumpstarts the saving process. Exactly. And they can see immediate rewards to like really positive Mm -hmm. behavior. So we've seen a lot of success there. The other gap that we saw as women were starting work was, you know, in the IT skills. Some of them, like I said, don't have a lot of professional or formal education. And so they may not feel as confident with digital literacy. And nowadays in the workplace, you need it for everything, whether it's an app, the laptop, iPads, you know, you've just got to be savvy, right? And they'll tell me many times, it's like, oh, my kids are teaching me how to do it. And I was like, that's great. Like learn any way you can. Like that's wonderful. But, you know, we also run a basic and also an advanced IT course so that women who want to, you know, get better at this, feel more confident in whatever they're doing, whether it's in their personal life or at work, they're able to to work on that with us as well. I assume that the journey with some of these women has stretched since the inception of Daughters of Tomorrow. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I can talk for myself. I think that While I was a volunteer befriender Mm -hmm. in 2016, you know, I'm still in touch with, you know, both of those beneficiaries. Like we still chat, we still meet up for coffee. I've had the opportunity to see their journey and it has been, you know, ups and downs through multiple different jobs. But the fact is that we're still in touch and we still connect. And I think that's, that's the beauty of working in the sector, especially with Daughters of Tomorrow, that it really is about relationships making your lives richer. So it's not just the beneficiaries, but also as a volunteer or, yeah, as part of the organization. Why is it so important for women to lift each other up? And how do we do it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you're doing it right now. So I think through the podcast, you know, it's all about supporting each other and learning from each other, right? And that starts happening through the listening, you know? So if you're able to be authentic and be present and 
and hear and understand through that whole process, you know, it, it really, even if you can't give anything or do anything to change their circumstances, just by being there and listening, you have helped. Mm-hmm. You have eased whatever they were trying to convey or that they were worried about. And I think that is actually the ethos of DOTS befriending program that we've developed over time. I hear of a lot of volunteers coming in and they're like, but I don't know anything about the space. I don't know anything about what other resources are out there. You know, what will I do? And it's just paring it back down to this very basic theme is that you just have to be present and authentic and maybe vulnerable in a way to really create connection. And then through that, you know, you'll be able to inspire, you'll be able to mentor each other. You might get some mentoring back as well, you know, which is great. And I think when you do see a a gap somewhere along the journey while you're, you know, connected, if you have the ability or the resources to actually then do something, you know, then take action as well at that point in time. But it's not necessary, I feel. Oh, I love that. I also think just no judgment on anyone else's life and journey and the fact that a lot of us are born into a type of privilege that other human beings aren't and just having that understanding that things will always be easier for some people and harder for others and there's an acknowledgement of that and an understanding that we can do what we can to help people that aren't in the same situation that that others were born into, right? I think once you start doing this work, even that kind of drops away yeah. because you're just authentically there for each other. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. What about some of the invaluable lessons you've learned throughout your time with Daughters of Tomorrow? And I know there would be some. How has being involved with the organisation and the beneficiaries changed you? Yeah, I think we touched upon that. It's just that power of listening. Yes. You know, and... As long as you're authentically there, Mm. like that's what's really valuable. You don't have to bring other things to the table, like just yourself. And also I think it's like I meet so many amazing individuals, the beneficiaries. They're so strong. Mm. Um, They have gone through so much. And and when I hear their stories and, you know, Mm. I'm so privileged that, you know, they would share it with us. I can see the inherent strength within them. But then as you, you know, stay connected and you see them actually realizing it about themselves and you see that aha kind of moment within them, I think that is really magic for me. And it's why I keep doing this work because that's really powerful, I think, The quote I have on my email sender, it's like, every woman already has a voice. It's just how do you enable them to use the voice? You know, it's it's that sentiment in a way that I really do see on a regular basis through this work that we're doing at Daughters of Tomorrow. Have there been some tough days? Because sometimes working in this space, it's always rewarding. And but there are days when it's heavy, when something that you hope would go well for someone doesn't? Or how do you bring yourself out of that? How do you protect yourself from getting too emotionally attached isn't the word, but just to be able to remain as positive as you are and and able to talk about all the great things when there's, there must be days that are really hard. No, you're absolutely right. You know, I think there have been stories and instances where, you know, it's heartbreaking and, um, 
it is hard to process. But I think the key for us at DOT is that we have an amazing team on the ground and we're really there for each other. That has been the case since I joined and it remains the case today. So knowing that you can meet up for a coffee, pick up the phone, you know, just have someone who really will understand what you're going through and and listen. Again, it's like I'm, I feel like a broken record, but, you know, listen to what you're actually feeling and, and feel it with you, right? That is, I think for me, the way I keep going. And then of course at home, I do have a very supportive spouse and, you know, I've got amazing support system, like his parents live here and extended family. And so knowing that even if I am drained or busy or whatever it is, that the kids are well taken care of, you know, I think that gives you peace of mind because again, you're juggling, am I doing enough at home versus, you know, how much am I putting in at work? And I think that has allowed me to continue doing this work, yeah. And then what's next for Daughters of Tomorrow? Oh my gosh, so much. <laughs> well, I can, can I just say what was just happened for Daughters of Tomorrow? This Mother's Day on Sunday, we had our first ever carnival and gala. It was at uh, the Jen Tanglin Hotel. I'm, I'm I think I'm butchering that one, but it's the one right next to Tanglin Mall. And it was just amazing. We had over 70 women attend, 110 kids came. We have amazing, amazing corporate partners and sponsors that makes all this happen. Mm. And I'm telling you on Sunday, they made magic happen. Like it was just so great to see the kids playing the carnivals. They had like arts and craft activities, a magician. And then... um, For the moms, we had organized through our amazing corporate partners, they had self-care day or afternoon. So there was massages, mani-pedis, yeah, perfume workshop, terrarium making, you know, photo shoots after a makeover. And just you could see how floored they were that Mm -hmm. they were getting pampered and spoiled and their kids were having a great time too. And I think... It was a great culmination of kind of the work and the community that we're building for the women. And then in the evening, we had our fundraising gala where we were able to invite all our corporate sponsors and champions who've been able to make this work actually possible. And to spend the evening with them was really fun. Now, a bit of a fun question to end on. Do you really believe that girls run the world? I think we run it together with the boys but we make it run more smoothly. (laughs) (laughs) So true. (laughs) Well, Kanak, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It was wonderful to learn more about Daughters of Tomorrow and your own personal journey as well. Oh, thanks so much for having us. We'd love to be back anytime you'll have us. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kanak, for our chat today. I am now joined by our podcast producer, Suf, to chat a little about today's episode. Hey, Suf. Hello. So what did you learn today? I like the quote that Kanak said, which is um, in her signature, every woman has a voice. It's just how you uplift them, which I thought was very inspiring. And especially as a male in Singapore, I think it's very, very important that we play a part in terms of uplifting women as well. Because... That's how we achieve gender equity. And I think also because I'm already very aware of these issues about underprivileged women, uh, low-income families in Singapore, but 
this needs to be talked about a lot more and it's nice to have charity organizations like Daughters of Tomorrow to bring these issues up to light because even locals in Singapore they don't they are not aware that there are underprivileged women there are single mothers or it's just something that needs to be brought to the forefront and it's really impressive i had no idea the number of volunteers and the magnitude of the well the impact quite frankly they must be having now which is i mean it's so admirable to just start something from the ground up and and grow to that level and you think about how many women are being impacted in a positive way through their interaction with this organization i think it's great that uh, everyone's playing a part in lifting uh, women up because the percentage of uh, low income families and privileged women is around 20% or more and if people don't talk about it or people don't do something about it i think rather then they will always be stuck there and people always assume that they are not doing all that they can to help themselves but it's not that it's just that there are a lack of opportunities for them so to bring them to the right direction it starts with you because you come from a place of privilege and when you're able to help someone you help a lot more it's like a trickle down effect And as an expert in Singapore, I want to know, like, were you aware of these issues for the longest time that you have been living here, or is this something that you've just learned today? No, so I used to volunteer at ANZA, and ANZA it's the Australian New Zealand Association, and they have a charity group that raises money for various different causes. And so I was made aware of this quite early on because there was a a group that would go in and help do up HDBs for some elderly residents and things and we actually worked on a charity event and I helped out in a small way and me and my girlfriends actually sang at it which was a bit of fun. And then when I was a few years ago before COVID, we used to go a group of girlfriends and I used to go to a women's shelter and do a little bit of it was just once a week and it was just a couple of hours to play with the kids so that the mums could have a little break. So I mean, I have seen it. I am really motivated by seeing the impact that continued support. Yes. So we can all kind of dip in and out in terms of helping to volunteer and I know that it's something that I do so I can dip in and out. Um, but it's quite inspiring to see Kanak and the group of women that just persevere over years and years and it's something that I'm definitely going to reflect on after today. I think it's also important that regardless of your nationality whether you're local or an expat to be able to help people who doesn't have a lot of privilege in the country that you're living in it speaks a lot. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you are helping them and paying it forward and they will remember the gratitude that they have and to be able to get out of that system and do something for themselves. And for everyone listening today, if you feel inspired to help in a voluntary way or any way or just learn more about Daughters of Tomorrow, we'll make sure there's a link in our show notes and there's definitely a lot of information on our site that you can find. Well, I guess that's it for today, Sof. Thanks for chatting. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.